Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. Hi there, this is Jillian on Love, and I am on a mission to teach people how to transform their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, you're single, or you're heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, breaths, and minds. I have now coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. In today's episode, I'm gonna talk about codependency, very much specifically in the realm of wanting to heal or rescue someone, turning partners into projects. And I'm going to discuss the nuance of it and how to heal. So the first thing that I will say, because this is a very big topic, is the word codependent, in my opinion, is terribly overused. I mean, it's like as soon as someone is relying on their partner, they're calling themselves codependent. It's overused. It's gotten a very bad rap. And the origin of a codependent relationship is based on a relationship between an addict and his or her partner and the dynamic that happens when an addict, and when I say an addict, I mean an alcoholic, a drug addict, a sex addict, anyone who has an addiction that is destroying their lives and therefore causing a lot of pain for the people who love them. So this is not someone who's sober and has gotten help. So it is the relationship between this person and their partner, spouse. And like I said, the dynamic that ensues, which is the person who is not an addict desperately wanting the addict to get help and to change. As a result the person who is not an addict completely loses themselves in the relationship. Everything becomes about their partner. It becomes about controlling their partner. It's like their partner becomes their child. And then the partner who is, the person who is an addict, is also very dependent on this dynamic as well because they're getting their needs met. All of a sudden, they're incredibly significant they, this is all unconscious, but by being the person with a big problem, they get a lot of attention and a lot of love. And the person who is their partner, they get a lot of importance by being the person who is not the messed up one, who is trying to reform their partner. It's really important to understand that every relationship that you look at in Every unhealthy relationship, let's say, that you look at, whether it's codependent, toxic, 
whatever it is, any unhealthy relationship you look at, and I'm not talking about really extreme abuse, but any relationship where you think, okay, this is not really serving people. Needs are being met. That's why it's not so easy to walk away from a relationship, even when we can say this is not a relationship that is for my highest good, because there's still needs being met. There's still the certainty of knowing that you're in a relationship. And when you fear being alone, you fear the uncertainty of being alone. You don't know if you're going to meet someone again. You don't know, you know, how you're going to pay. For some people, it's they don't even know how they're going to pay the bills, right? So remaining in a relationship, even when it's hard, it can be very familiar. And it's within that familiarity that we feel a sense of security. And in these codependent relationships where someone is hyper-focusing on their addict partner and losing themselves, and then the addict partner is then almost not motivated to change because they're caught in a dynamic where they're both getting some needs then again the addict is getting a lot of attention the person who's not an addict is deriving some sort of significance they're able to play out an old childhood thing and also something that feels very familiar to them which is i can change this person they can be my project i can be the reason for their change So again, it's important to understand that the origin of a codependent relationship is between an addict and a non-addict. Now, we have spread that term to apply to many different relationships in which one or both people are losing themselves. They're losing their sense of autonomy and self within the relationship to the degree that it's become unhealthy. And so that has been sort of the modern take on codependence. But there's a very large gray area because everyone has their own belief system around what is a healthy amount of dependence and what is a healthy amount of independence. And this term interdependence, which is Basically, life is a blend of I need me and I need you. And we balance that out and create an independence. Now, that sounds great because that is the goal, but it's tricky and it looks different in every relationship because learning how to be autonomous and also learning how to rely on a partner is the great dance that is a relationship. This episode is brought to you by AG1. I gave AG1 a try because honestly, I was tired of just trying different supplements and I don't really like swallowing a bunch of pills. And I just wanted something really good and really simple. And I wanted something in powder form. And I wanted something in a single solution that would support 
my entire well-being. And so I gave AG1 a try because it does cover all my nutritional bases every day. I mean, for sure, I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy. I wanted better sleep, immune support. And like I said, I don't like taking a bunch of pills and vitamins. So I drink AG1 in the morning and it makes me feel a lot better, a lot more energized and definitely makes me feel like I am giving myself and my body the support that it needs, especially since, you know, sometimes I'm on the go a lot and I work a lot and it's hard to get all our nutrition just through food, honestly. And since I've been drinking AG1, I have noticed that I am able to focus better. My digestion has improved, definitely have more energy. I like what it does for my hair, skin, and nails. So why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? And it's just highly absorbable. Every scoop of AG1 is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and high quality whole food source ingredients that boost my energy, definitely improve my mood. And like I said, it's just good for my overall hair, skin, and nails. My AG1 is delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy for me to make it into a daily habit. AG1 will replace your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Jillian on love. That's drinkag1.com slash Jillian on love. Check it out. It really is so dependent on how a person was raised because some of us were raised for more autonomy. We were raised with parents who encouraged us to go out into the world, to go into the playground and just be independent. You know, let's shelve trauma right now. Some people were just raised with that ethos. That was the ethos of the family, which is you take care of yourself, you go out in the world. You have to learn how to go out in the world and take care of yourself in the world because that's how you protect yourself. And then there were some of us who were raised with for more togetherness. The ethos of the family was more sticking together. There may have been a parent or both parents that were a little bit more protective, a little bit more like, no, you need to rely on others and it's relying on others how you get by in life. Even though we could weave in codependency, we can weave in attachment theory, there's a lot of overlap. But I want to strip it all down because these are terms that are, like I said, they're saturating the current pop psychology zeitgeist. And people are starting to weaponize these terms to put other people down. They're using it to diagnose themselves, which is incorrect. And I think that they're all wonderful to give us a sort of map, but we're forgetting the origin. We're forgetting some very important things. And that is balancing autonomy with dependence in a relationship is the dance and the balance that every single couple will have to face. 
And when we lean too far to the autonomy side, where we're not allowing anyone in and we are very independent and we're not, we don't ask for help and we're thinking more in terms of I and not enough in terms of we, that can be very detrimental to the closeness of a relationship. As we all know very well, or many of us know very well, if it's too dependent, it becomes codependent. Just two people who are making the other person the focal point to the point where they lose themselves, and they are also making the other person tied into all of this is that they're making the other person on an unconscious level responsible for their happiness, right? So we have several dances that are relationship, the dance between autonomy and freedom. And then there is the balance and the philosophical conversation, if you will, of finding happiness within versus finding happiness within another. And I think that we can't say, yes, we are responsible for our happiness. We really are. And I think it's a very important emphasis because often what is happening, like when two people are in an argument, what they usually are arguing about, if you peel away the onion and you really get to the core, is two people who are resentful of the other for not being a certain way that makes them feel comfortable. Oh, you changed. Now I'm not happy. Now I'm mad at you. Or, oh, you know, you're not your amazing, lovely self today. That's really annoying because your amazing, lovely self is what helps me be my amazing, lovely self. This is not conscious. This is not a choice. This is in the unconscious. Versus, oh, you're having a bad day? Okay, that sucks. But my inner peace isn't dependent on your inner peace. But here's the gray area. When we're in a relationship with someone, we can't experience emotional intimacy without part of our inner beings being yoked, united, connected. So to say to someone, you should have no reaction to the fact that your partner is suffering, that should not in any way disrupt your inner equilibrium. There is some truth to that. We want to be able to maintain our inner peace and internal equilibrium even when our partner is not their best. We want to be able to be our best even when they are not at their best. This truly is the goal. However, to what degree? Are we just supposed to be okay when our partner is deeply suffering? Doesn't that then exclude empathy and compassion? So the gray area is large, and it's not so easy. But let me break it down a little bit. Being able to have empathy and compassion for when our partner is going through a difficult time or having a bad day is important. Continuing, though, in spite of that, to focus on ourselves and to make our joy a priority rather than our joy being 
entirely dependent on their emotional state. Because if our joy is dependent on their emotional state, if our security is dependent on their behavior and emotional state, then we can easily become a codependent. But again, what happens with codependent relationships is that usually it's someone who conveniently falls for, pursues, gets into a relationship with someone whose emotional state is almost always not in a good place. And so it becomes the pursuit of that codependent person to then tie their purpose, to tie their purpose and their internal equilibrium, to tie it to the emotional state of their partner. And that becomes the project of that person. Okay. So I'm kind of talking about two things here. One is the overall things. Like, let me just review it because I know that this can be complex. So number one, some of us are more wired for autonomy and independence. Some of us are more wired for togetherness that is based on how we were raised and the ethos of the family that we were raised in. Being able to balance within ourselves a sense of independence and autonomy with also being able to ask for help and to allow people in and vice versa is very important. So if you're someone who's only been autonomous and sort of been a lone wolf, your work, if you will, is to challenge whatever belief that you have that if you let people in, that means that you are weak in some way and to really practice letting people in. If you're someone who's really been wired for togetherness and then as a result in relationship, you've been easily swayed to be too dependent on your partner, then building that sense of independence and autonomy is your work. Every relationship Every couple will have to many times throughout a day, a year, a decade, balance out and find the sweet spot of autonomy and dependence. And it's a dance. We never strike balance and stay in balance. We reverberate around the central balance. And it's really about two people who can communicate that and get on the same page about that, then that's when it really works. We will also always grapple with finding happiness within versus finding happiness within another because we are truly responsible for our happiness. But why on earth would we ever be in a relationship with someone who doesn't add happiness to our lives? I know I've done that. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. Have you found that you have subscriptions that you likely have forgotten about or that you've paid twice for and you haven't really realized it or didn't realize it at all? I know I have. Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that was otherwise tricky or time-consuming or, again, you just didn't even realize you had it because it actually can alert you to an increase in subscription price and it can also negotiate for you. It's kind of amazing. 
So are you someone who has subscriptions that are draining your wallet? I know for sure I have. Think about like, oh, I want to watch this movie. I want to watch this show. Okay, I have to subscribe for this. And you do it and you think, yeah, I'll just cancel after the free trial. And then you kind of forget about it. And then next thing you know, you're paying for all these subscriptions that you don't even use. It is such a waste of money. In fact, the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember subscribing to half of those. So if you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's a great app and it tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. It's the dream for me. And by the way, most people think they're spending around $80 on their subscriptions, when in reality, the number is actually closer to $200. So when you've signed up for so many things like streaming service, like I said, to watch that one show or free trials for delivery that you don't use, it just truly is so easy to lose track of what you're paying for. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash on love. That's rocketmoney.com slash on love. Rocketmoney.com slash on love. So when it becomes emotionally dangerous is when we are relying on another person to make us happy and the person that we are relying to make us happy is someone who could never add to our happiness because they have too many problems. And so we take them on as a project, as a way to heal them, rescue them, be their therapist, parentalize them with the hope that they will change for us, hence giving us a sense of feeling chosen and feeling important. So everyone wants to feel needed and it's important to feel needed in a relationship. But when our only pursuit inside of a relationship is to feel needed, it actually becomes the pursuit to fulfill our need to feel important and significant, as opposed to the pursuit of love and connection and true emotional intimacy. And we cannot have true emotional intimacy as long as we are playing out the pattern of turning partners into projects, trying to reform our partner, whether they are an addict or not. And we cannot reform our partner. And the habit that I want so badly people to break is the habit of getting into relationships where they are able to play out a role that is very familiar to them and may even be a role that actually works well in other areas of their life which is the role of the healer, the guru, the therapist, the coach, the rescuer, the hero. Instead of playing out that role to 
no longer do that and to allow for the autonomy of their partner to face their own problems while they then adopt their own autonomy and start to focus more on their own problems. A healthy relationship is when two people are fully responsible for their own happiness and they want to see the other person win. They want to contribute to each other's happiness. They have the expectation that being in a relationship means that the other person has to add value to their lives and vice versa. That does not mean that when you're in a relationship, you're still going to have to ask yourself, this is the really conscious work, ask yourself, am I mad at them because I have expected them to make me happy? Or am I mad at them because actually they did something that I don't feel was right? They hurt my feelings. So we will always have to reconcile with our responsibility for finding our happiness within versus finding happiness within another. In the codependent relationship, both people are not finding happiness within. Both people are caught in an unconscious dynamic in which they do not take their autonomy and their making themselves happy seriously. The codependent or the rescuer, if you will, because I'm really focusing on that, derives their contentment from reforming the partner And the one who needs to be reformed is deriving their contentment from getting all that attention. Again, these are not conscious things. When the reality is that the partner who's been turned into a project is going to get their fulfillment in life from working on their own problems and arriving to their healing on their own, that's their greatest growth. And for the rescuer, same thing, focusing on themselves and allowing their partner to be who they are. And if who they are and where they are in their healing journey or lack thereof doesn't work, then you got to walk. Because when we turn people into projects, and like I said, we become the rescuer, the healer, the guru, the hero, we are actually acting from a place of ego in our relationships. It becomes all about us paradoxically. We're putting all their focus on them, but really we're putting all our focus on them so that we can feel really important, so that we can feel chosen, and then we can just say, see, I know better. And we can reinforce that identity that we're so connected to of being the hero, the healer, the therapist, the coach. And like I said, that's an identity that might work really well and work doesn't work in a relationship. Because what happens as well, there's a lot of overlap here. You get a chaser and a runner. So the healer is always chasing 
the person who's been turned into a project is always running. And then it looks a lot like, why haven't you called me? Why did you do that when I asked you not to do that? And the other person's shutting down. And then it might even look like a little bit of an anxious and avoidant dance. You never want to begin a relationship with someone who you believe needs reformation and redemption. If you can't actually love them exactly how they are, they are not for you. If you need to prove that you are worthy by being the person that they, cho- that they change for, it's almost like a generational trauma. I mean, this is a narrative that we have seen over and over again in Hollywood. I mean, it's also part of just comic books. There's always a rescuer. There's always someone coming in to be the hero or the heroine. And we love that story. I love watching it. People love it. But when it's actually happening in our lives, as you may have noticed, it really doesn't turn out like it does in the movies. Instead, it becomes extremely painful. And even though some needs are being met, the core needs are not, and people feel incredibly unfulfilled. They usually end up in situationships. And basically, you end up in situations where paradoxically, there really isn't any love. There's connection, maybe. There's lust, sure. But not true love, because true love demands from both parties vulnerability, honesty, and reciprocal feelings. And another thing is, is that when we get into a relationship with someone and we're constantly trying to fix them or change them or reform them, the more they're just going to see us as a parental figure and it kills attraction. And the more we're going to see them as a teenager and that kills attraction. So what do you do if this is your pattern? So like I said, if you're in a relationship, and I give very different advice for people who are in, you know, a six-month relationship versus people who've been married for years or partnered for many years. So if you're very early on in something, within the first year, you don't have kids, you don't have a lot of skin in the game, though you do have a lot of attachment, you know, you really have to be incredibly honest with yourself and ask yourself, is this someone who could ever add to my happiness? Can I truly accept them how they are? Is this someone who actually respects me? Or if they've just been disrespecting me, but I've just been making a lot of excuses because I'm too caught up in trying to reform them. And I would say that if you're in a relationship with someone who needs redemption, who needs reformation, who is nowhere near who you actually need them to be in order to thrive in a relationship, you got to get out. This is what it means to choose yourself. It's not about them. It's entirely about you. But let's just take staying in the relationship versus not staying in the relationship off the table. Even if you stay in the relationship, you have to choose yourself. So you have to literally take the focus away from them and onto yourself. Now, if you're in a really difficult situation and you are in a relationship with an addict, something like Al-Anon is very helpful. 
one thing that I can say without a shadow of a doubt is that with the many people who I've worked with who've had this pattern one way or another, there is one common thread throughout all of them, and that is an ignoring of self, an ignoring of their autonomy, an ignoring of what makes them happy. And so that relationship is exhausting, and that exhaustion serves a purpose, which is let it distract me from actually doing and making the changes that I need to make in my own life. Let it distract me from me. And so when we put all our focus on someone else and we completely abandon ourselves, we actually become avoidance, but we become avoidance of ourselves. Because in these types of relationships, there's no difficult conversations. The dynamic is about control. One person controlling, one person trying to emancipate themselves from the control. Both people getting some needs met, both people feeling really important to each other in many ways, but they're skirting and sometimes very far away from emotional intimacy. Number one, understand that If you have this pattern, what you've been leading with is the need to feel significant and you have been trained throughout your life, likely, to derive your significance by playing this type of role in a person's life where you are in many ways the more important one. Again, the healer, the hero, the guru, the coach, the therapist. And you've been deriving your significance, playing that role in people's lives because it makes you feel needed. You think, if I'm doing this, they'll never leave me. If I'm doing this, they might change for me. And it's a losing battle. And so you want to learn how to be in a relationship, whether it's the one that you're in now or a future one, where you are showing up. You're not just wearing the hat of healer. That hat you can wear with someone else. But in your relationship, you are allowing yourself to be seen. You are expressing yourself vulnerably. You have boundaries for yourself and for the other. You talk about your expectations. And you're not using a relationship or another person, a partner, as an excuse for you to continue to play this role. And that might mean that you have a very honest moment with yourself where you ask yourself, do I feel worthy of someone's love if I'm not trying to fix them? Do I see my value when I am not playing this role in someone's life? And that can be a really difficult moment when you can say to yourself, maybe I don't. Maybe that's something that I really need to see differently. But more times than not, it's a habit. You're so used to being that in your friends' lives, in your clients' lives, maybe even in your parents' lives. And so you have to unlearn doing that for someone else. And the moment you can say, you know what? I'm tired of that role. I want something deeper. Is the moment that you 
will start to be turned off by those who would need to be reformed and turned into projects. You're going to see that as exhausting. You're going to see that as something that can never fulfill you. It's where you draw the line in the sand and you say, no more. I deserve to be in a relationship where, you know, it's equal in many ways. That doesn't mean that everything you do is equal, but you're both coming to the table. You're both coming to the table with your gifts and with your love, and you're putting it on the table, and you want to give equally, and you want to receive. So that's the first important thing. You just have to draw the line in the sand, but you can't do that without having insight into why it's there, which is why I'm doing this episode. And then when you are healing from this and drawing the line in the sand, you're going to be confronted with a lot of stories like, I can fix them, stories like, I know better, stories like, if I just, you know, let them do this, where you're having a lot of excuses for them, or if they change for me, mark my words, inside all of this, you are going to find within you someone who's controlling. And I know it's hard to hear. It's not who you are. It's just a habit. But a lot of this is about feeling out of control, feeling like you're not going to get the love that you deserve from someone who does not need you to be their therapist or their coach, feeling out of control in a relationship with someone where you're not liking the way that they're leading their life. So let me just steer the path for them. So you have to let go of control and focus on yourself. You have to let go of control and give someone you care about the opportunity and the privilege to be able to work through their problems. That doesn't mean you're not a support for them, but it does mean that you stop trying to fix them. It means that you stop trying to wait around until they're fixed so that you can be chosen. There is nothing more attractive than someone who is flawed, but has a basic responsibility for their own lives and behavior. And as a codependent, it's really easy to be drawn to those who don't have that kind of responsibility because it opens the door for us to be able to take control of their lives to the detriment of our own. And so focusing on you is the way to go. If you're single, only allowing people who have their life in order and who choose you into your life. So you want to choose partners that don't actually need you, but they want you. Who need you because they love you, not love you because they need you, as Eric Fromm would say. People who choose you. But it doesn't mean that this tendency is just going to go away overnight. You might be in a great relationship and notice those tendencies to come up when they're having a hard time and, you know, wanting to fix it and change it and then totally ignoring yourself. It's an ongoing practice. If you really have this, if it's been a very difficult journey for you, it does begin with choosing partners who do not need to be reformed in any way. And even if they need healing and changing, You have to accept them exactly where they are or just don't date them. And so first start with getting really honest with yourself. We can't change or break a pattern without having a moment of 
radical honesty with ourselves about what it is that we do, why it's a habit, acknowledging that it's there, acknowledging that we may have put our happiness too much in the hands of someone else, acknowledging that we, you know, struggle with control, acknowledging that we've been too dependent or too independent. We all have our stuff. But this really is the root of codependency. These are the codependent tendencies. You want a partner, not a project. You're the one who turns it into a project. So it's definitely something that we have to look within to change. Anyway, I hope this helps. I'd love to hear from you about this because I I likely will have to do a part two, but I would love to hear from you about how this resonated, what you're working on with this. And please feel free to reach out to us at hello at jillianonlove.com. Let me know. And you never know whose life you could be changing. You never know whose day you could be making just by clicking the share button. If there was just one thing that really stuck out to you and you think, oh, this person would really benefit from this, send it to them. Because like I said, you just never know how someone's brain is going to absorb this information and have it be a real turning point in their lives. And as always, I thank you for being here. I thank you for listening. And until next time. Jillian on Love is a Q-Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Shin Yin Hu. Editing and music by Will Tendy. Are you ready for the ultimate Love Island experience? Join us on After the Island. We're going back to where it all began, Fiji. Love Island USA Season 5 is making a splash on Peacock right now. And guess what? Your favorite recap show is back too. Welcome to After the Island. Join us as real life besties and co-hosts, Elizabeth and Alex, as we deep dive into each sizzling episode of Love Island USA. We'll spill the tea, interview contestants, answer fan questions, and give you unprecedented behind the scenes access to the wildly popular world of Love Island. Don't miss a single moment of the drama, romance, and unforgettable island vibes. Listen to After the Island on any streaming platform. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.